Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Hey, last week I woke up and uh, something that never happened before to me happened. I, I sat up in bed and um, the room started spinning and I crashed back to bed and I had vertigo. Apparently it was from an inner ear infection and it went away about Wednesday, uh, but that, I don't ever want to feel that again. But uh, as I was reading through uh, our, our passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. If you have a Bible, you can begin to work your way there, right in the middle of your Bible, the second longest book of, uh, of the Bible, Isaiah. I was studying Isaiah this week and I felt like as I was getting over my physical vertigo, I was experiencing spiritual vertigo. And this can happen when you read the prophets. Like from, from verse to verse, it can be a head spinner. So Isaiah is going to say things like, God in his righteousness is going to wet the blood of his sword with the, his enemies. And you're like, whoa. And the next verse is like, and he's merciful and kind. And, and you're like, what is going on? It, like the, the prophets are different. As we're working our way through this series uh, and we get to the prophets, man, they're, they're, they're just, they're different dudes. Like they, they've got no chill. Like... You're not going to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner. Like, that would not go well for you. Like, you, you invite one of these guys out, Isaiah or Micah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Don't do Ezekiel. But if they show up and you're, going to, you're about to cut the turkey and you're going to say prayer, and he's going to come and he's going to throw that turkey on the ground and he'll be like, uh, as this turkey gets eaten by dogs, may the enemies of God get eaten. And you're like, dude, that was our turkey. He's like, whatever. He goes over and sits on the couch to do some, uh, watch some football. But you look over a few minutes later, he's naked. And you're like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> Just as you're, you're, you're going to be exposed with your naked righteousness, self-righteousness before a holy God. And you're like, dude, it's time for you to go. <laughs> but, but that's how the prophets are. But I, I was reading through Isaiah 66. Uh, chapters just uh, loving it and and I was like man I, I really want to just I want to preach an overview sir I want to just I want to do the whole thing and and wisely Pastor Matthew I was telling him that he's like ah, you're not that good so I'm like okay I'll just stick to a couple passages then he's like yeah that'll work better uh, so that's what we're going to do but I, I, I want you to study this book this week uh, two, two things to help you in that Go to BibleProject.com, I believe, uh, and some videos. Actually, a friend of mine made these videos uh, that just give overviews of all the books of the Bible. And there's two videos on the book of Isaiah. Great, great context for you. I'd encourage you to read through Isaiah, 66 chapters. You're going to need, uh, I would encourage you to do it with a study Bible, though. Because you're going to need some context. And, and, and like I said, it, it's going to induce some spiritual vertigo. But it is worth your time. We're in this series called the, the Framework Series. This is just our way of, uh, of getting a framework for better understanding the whole story of God, the arc of, uh, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and, and specifically in the Old Testament how uh, just there's this re- deep, rich history of the promises and the covenants that God made with people like Moses and Abraham and David and, and how they all point to Christ so that when we get to our New Testament, they, they come out of this just a, a deeper well to worship out of. That's what we're trying to do. And today we come to the second longest book of the Bible, as I mentioned, Isaiah. We cannot uh, over, overstate the, the, the importance of Isaiah. You know, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Not just because of its length, but in the New Testament, uh, over 400 times, Isaiah is either quoted or alluded to. 
So you want us to understand your New Testament, you've you got to understand Isaiah a, a little bit better. Jesus, uh, John, uh, when he's talking about Jesus, in John chapter 12, it says, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and wrote about him. So, so John tells us that the book of Isaiah is to put Jesus on display. Jesus, when he starts his ministry, often is quoting Isaiah, but when he starts his ministry, he goes into the synagogue in his hometown, and he uh, gets, someone hands him a scroll, he opens it up to Isaiah chapter 61, and in Luke chapter 4, we see what he quotes. He quotes from Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind which is a very important theme in Isaiah, recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. Luke will go on and say, after that he rolls up the scroll, sits down and he says, that was about me. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, that, that was about me. And they're like, wait, aren't, aren't you Joseph? So, like, we went to high school together. He's like, yeah, this is about me. This whole book is about me. And so Isaiah is constantly putting on display. But, but, but even in this, uh, we see that there is this theme through Isaiah that, that there is, a, there is a, a blindness that comes because of our sin. A blindness to, to eternal realities. A blindness to the truth. So it isn't that, that we just need to get a lot of information in our mind and then, then things will be different. We actually need new eyes. We need to be able to see. And then I was thinking about my, my friend Edward Paz. Edward's a pastor in uh, Oakland, an actually nine pastor. I've got to know him quite a bit over the last year, spent some time with him. Uh, when it was first song, he, had, he was speaking at um, this thing that my wife and I went to, and uh, his, his right eye was kind of cloudy. I was like, hey, man, what's up with that? He's like, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I just went to speak somewhere. I got an infection in my eye. I'm like, okay. And see him six months later, and uh, the eye is worse. Like, it's totally clouded over. Uh, he's, he's totally blinded in the eye at this point. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, yeah, it, it's not going to go away. It's done some damage to, to, to my eyeball, and I just won't ever see out of this. I'm like, wow. So I saw him a few weeks ago, and, and again, I was like, so what's the story? He's like, well, guess what? I'm, I'm going to get a transplant. And I was like, wow, that's intense. And then, I, then it just began to dawn on me. I was like, Edward, you, you know what this means, right? Like, like this, someone in the next few weeks that are probably even not, is not even aware of it is going to die in a car accident or something like that. And the state of California is going to come and take the eyeballs out of their head, put them on ice, take them to a hospital, give you a call and say, it's time to get your sight back. I mean, this is intense. Like, let's pray for that person. Let's pray for them, and then we'll, we'll pray for you as well. It's a picture of the gospel. For you to be able to see again, someone has to die. For us to be able to see, Jesus had to die to open our eyes to, for the recovering of sight. So with that, let me just pray for us before we even put our eyes on the text that he would do that work in us. Join me. Father, we do come before you in the name of your Son, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, confessing and admitting once again that there is nothing uh, we can do to make ourselves see or to hear, but we are wholly dependent on you. Every person in this room is wholly dependent on you to have an authentic, genuine encounter with you, Lord. 
Lord, and I know there are, there are days that are ordinary days, and that's usual, but I'm praying for a special revelation now from your word to speak to each person here. So please give us eyes to see. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 6, but as I was studying these two passages I want to look at this week, I I thought of another Isaiah-like sermon that was preached uh, by probably the the best philosopher, best theologian that America has ever produced. His name was Jonathan Edwards on July 8th. 1741, he went to Enfield, Connecticut as a guest speaker uh, to give a message that he had already preached at his own home church. Uh, the, the message was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Like, that sounds like a prophet. That sounds like Isaiah. But, but what, I, what, what Jonathan was simply doing is he was showing as the a great awakening was starting across the colonies, uh, this one area was known for particular hardness, a coldness to the things of God. And so as Edwards went and he just pleaded with the people and just painted a, a prophet-like picture of, uh, of what it means to be outside of Christ and, and God in His holy justice and righteousness and, and how they are just trembling on the edge of eternity. And he preached this and in the middle of preaching, he could not finish the sermon because the Spirit of God fell in that place and, and there, was, there was weeping and repenting and rejoicing in, in new life in Christ and, and the awakening began to spread. But it's too bad that that's what the, the only sermon that he's really known for because he preached thousands of other sermons on thousands of other topics and, and they're, 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 most of them are very good. And as I was looking at these passages, I thought of one of his sermons. And man, these dudes had awesome sermon titles. Uh, the sermon I thought of was The Admirable Conjunction of Diverse Excellencies in Christ Jesus. The Admirable Conjunction of Diverse Excellencies in Christ Jesus. And he preaches it from the book of Revelation. He says one of the things that makes Jesus so amazing and so worthy of our worship is just the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in him. That he is truly God and and truly man. That he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he just goes through just showing the admirable conjunctions. And and, and, and Isaiah is going to put on display two admirable conjunctions of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. They're the two most famous passages in Isaiah, which is a little bit of a risk to preach on because you can be like, yeah, I know that. But, but I, I'm, I've been praying, asking God, Lord, would you give us new eyes to see not just these two scenes of Jesus in isolation, but how they come together. And in their coming together, uh, it, it should just fuel our life and our worship, everything about our lives. And so Isaiah chapter 6. We know this is, takes place at about the year 740 B.C. We know that because at the beginning of Isaiah, it says the, the vision of Isaiah. Isaiah means Yahweh saves. The son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We, we know the date because we have other books like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles that we can date the time. We also know the, the context the atmosphere, it was a, it was a time of uh, tremendous upheaval, spiritually, politically, culturally. The kingdoms have been divided at this point to the northern kingdom in Israel, called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And on the horizon is a, is a superpower that is devouring the nations, just destroying them. 
And they've started to move into Israel and started to take off towns. And, 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 and the people of God uh, and the people of Judah are, are terrified. And so what, what do they do? Do they turn back to God and plead for him? No. They scramble like you and I are t- tend to scramble when our life starts to get out of control. And they say, what, whatever it takes to, to be safe and, and secure. And so they, they say, maybe we can make political alliances with, with the surrounding nations. Maybe they'll help us. Maybe we can make military, military alliances. Maybe we'll get a bigger military. Maybe, maybe that's what the answer is. They'll say, well, if we're going to make alliances with them, we should worship their gods too. And so they, they start just bowing down to every, and every god they can imagine. Oh, oh, they still go to the temple. And they still pray as the Bible says they should pray. And they still do the offerings. And God says, I hate it. I don't want to see any of your offerings. I'm not going to listen to any of your prayers. This is an abomination. He calls them whores. You are whoring yourself out. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with it. They are giving themselves to idolatry. And uh, 40 times in the book of Isaiah, a key theme is not only do they give themselves, turn away from God and give themselves to idolatry, they are oppressing the poor and the marginalized, the widows, the orphans, the, the migrants in their midst. And God's people were to be a light to the nations and to show the world uh, what, what life in the kingdom will look like. And they weren't doing it. And so 40 times, Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, be a people of justice, and they're, they're just perverting justice. So idolatry and injustice, God is saying, I'm going to bring some judgment on you if you don't turn back. And in chapter 6, we see this. One, it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Zion was a king in, Ju- uh, in Jerusalem. He's one of the few good kings. There, there were no good kings in Israel in, their hist- in, in the north in their history. But in Judah, there were a few. And Uzziah was one of them. He reigned from the age of 16 for 52 years longer. For 52 years, he was a, a, a pretty good king. And as such, God had kept the enemies of Judah on the, on, uh, outside. <laughs> and so... There, there's just, can you imagine? Like we, we have leaders that reign, that rule for four to eight years. But for 52 years he's been ruling. Some, that's the only leader they've ever known. And he's dead. And so there's just fear. Like who's going to lead us? If Uzziah is dead, who's going to lead us? So it says in the year King Uzziah died, 740 B.C. Isaiah says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, there was no king on the throne in Judah, but, but in the year that he died, I went into the temple and I saw the Lord. He gets a, a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ, and, and, and he is reigning and ruling on the throne. Kings of this earth come and go, but, but there is one king who reigns over all for all time. This is good news. This is good news to know that it's not Kim Jong-un in North Korea. It's not Xi in China. It's not Erdogan in Turkey. It's not Assad in Syria. It's not Justin Trudeau in Canada. It's not Donald Trump in America who reigns overall. And whatever happens in next year's election, God will still be on the throne and He'll still be reigning overall. This is good news. And in this vision, He is not uh, seeing God like uh, uh, biting His fingernails. There's not an abundance of counselors like, what are we going to do? There's a lot of turmoil in the land. No, he is reigning. He is absolutely confident, absolutely sure, absolutely at peace at who he is and in his reign. 
And he rules over the nations. He tells the ocean, you come this far. He raises up uh, mountains. In in Isaiah chapter 40 later, uh, he says this, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Oh, he is in control. He's in control of every molecule in the universe. He, he says, he, he brings out the starry hosts and, and calls them each by name. The billions and trillions of stars. Each by name. Sam. Bob. In Y7643, he knows them all. And it wasn't too hard for him to name them. That was easy. Everything he does is easy for him. And, it says he, and the implication is that he knows you. Jesus says he, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of days of your life. And he's in control. And so we, we can come to this king who reigns over all because he's got all the power. There is no deficiency in him. And so we can come to him. But, but, but look what this scene unfolds as the scene begins to unfold. Verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. These are, these are angels. These are angelic hosts. Do not think Renaissance era fat babies with wings. These are terrifying. The word means the burning ones. We're going to see that they literally burn with the nuclear-powered praise of God forever and ever and ever, and they love it. That's what they were created to do. They are massive. It says each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. I mean, just picture this. One wing tip comes into this room. The other one goes to the end of Parker Road. And, and, and these, these angelic hosts are singing the praise and glory of God. And they're covering their eyes because even though they have no sin in them, they, they, they just know they are in the presence of the Lord of hosts. And they cover their feet because they are in holy space. And they're singing a song. So when Aaron called us into worship today, He didn't call us to start something. He called us to join something that's been going on since the beginning and will go on forever and ever. We'll we'll, we'll leave here and go to lunch, but they won't stop. We'll, we'll, We'll lay it down our heads tonight, but they won't stop. Long after we leave this planet, they won't stop. And they love it. Think about it. You're like, well, that'd be kind of a boring existence. Would it? Is there anything better that they could do in the history of the world. No. They are in the unadulterated presence of God's glory and they are singing His praise. And so what is their worship song? They strain for words to put on display what is going on in this moment. And one called to another, Holy, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of Him who called and the house was filled with smoke. It is just rumbling, rumbling like the, 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 the stone threshold, the, the foundations are just shaking and it's shaking Isaiah's chest and they're shouting one to the other, holy, holy, holy. And the other one says, yeah, the whole earth is full of His glory. And they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They, they are just reaching, straining to put on display what is in the incomparable God. And, and our, our language just falls short. He's holy. We think holy, well, that's, you know, without sin. Well, yeah, but, but the angels are without sin. So it has to mean more than that. Holy, it means holy other. A, a cut above, above and transcendent, beyond all co- compare. He is other. He is, he is, well, again, I can't come up with the words. And, and they are singing His praise. He is on His throne. He is holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. So there's a few definitions of glory, but, one, but, but here in this context, it, it is His holiness put on display. His might, His power, His beauty, His majesty put on display. The whole earth is full of His glory. He reigns. He's on His throne. And that is good news, no matter what you're facing right now. No matter what you're going in, that reality can bring everything else into perspective. Verse 5. But there's a problem. And Isaiah immediately senses a massive problem. The worst problem he's ever sensed in his life. Again, think of Isaiah. He is the most righteous man in the land, in the world at this point. God has revealed to him amazing things. He's had some prophecies and, and he's, he's been the man of God. He is the most righteous man. There, if, we're, if we're playing the comparison game, there's no comparison to Isaiah. But look what he says. And he said... And I said, Woe is me. The prophets are used to pronouncing woe, pronouncing destruction to God's enemies. But when Isaiah gets a vision of the holiness, the glory, the majesty of God, Isaiah immediately not only sees God, but he sees himself for who he is. And he says, Woe is me! I'm undone. I'm lost. I'm finished. Why am I still here? Why am I not just eviscerated? Woe is me! Why? Because he sees himself as he truly is in this moment. For I am a man of unclean lips. This is just a picture of his utter sinfulness. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is, and I dwell amongst, amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm finished. I'm done. Uh, 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 Nothing. Woe is me. See, See, when we... Actually, if God would open our eyes just to get maybe a one one millionth of a glimpse of what Isaiah saw, in that moment, we would all be on our face. We would all be, woe is me. His holiness is too much. His righteousness is too much. And, and then we, are, are, we would be laid bare in our thought, word, and deed. This is why I often say and ask the question, who's the worst sinner that you know? And if the answer isn't myself, then you haven't really understood either yourself or God. 
Because you should know your own thought, word, and deed before a holy God. It's just, it's just in that moment, it is a crushing burden. It's all-powerful. And God could be God and be all-powerful, and that, that would be worthy of praise. And yet, He is a merciful God, and we begin to see that played out in the next verses. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim, these burning ones, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What in the world is going on? How is that possible? Like, he grabs a coal and he comes and he puts it on his lips and it sears his lips. He says, Now your sin is atoned for. But why? That doesn't make sense. Well, notice where he gets the coal. He had taken with tongs from the altar. The altar was the place of sacrifice. The altar was the place of atonement, being made one, being made whole, being forgiven. It's a, it's a picture longing for, looking to the next scene that Isaiah is going to put on display of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. So we've seen the picture, the Admiral conjunction of diverse excellency starts with Jesus on the throne incomparably holy incomparably everything and then Isaiah 53 (coughs) but it actually starts back in 52 at this point in the story the people of God have continued to resist God even when he's given them promises and, and now God has started to tell about a perfect servant who will come a servant who will do righteous, who, who will do everything perfectly. And so Isaiah is talking about that servant. And in verse 13 it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is an echo of Isaiah chapter 6. High and lifted up and exalted. But then verse 14 is one of those spiritually vertigo moments. You would expect this perfect servant, this humble servant, this righteous servant, everything was a, would go well for him. But that's not what happens. Verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. What's going on? It's, it's beginning to paint a picture 700 years ahead of time of Jesus, the suffering servant. His appearance is marred, and yet He will sprinkle the nations. And, and there's this comp- repeated theme by the nations will come in to the kingdom of God. Chapter 53. Who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, Go back to what I said at the beginning. There, there is this 
passion of God for justice, for caring for the poor and the oppressed. There's two reasons for that. The first and foremost is that because every person who has ever lived has borne the image of God and has innate value. And so we say as God's people, we need to be a a holy, whole life, pro-life people from womb to tomb because the image of God matters. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason why God is so passionate about the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized, the, the immigrant. Why? Because our God identifies with the poor and the oppressed. All of the other surrounding gods of the nations identified with the powerful, the wealthy. But God says, that's not who I'm like. And when I take on flesh, I'm coming to a penniless mother and father and I'm going to live a life of oppression and I'm going to live a life of, of, of un- injustice and, and, and in every way God, Jesus, when he comes he's so identified with the poor and the oppressed, he says even at the end of his gospel in Matthew chapter 25 he puts it like this he says there's a day that's going to come when I'm going to come and judge the whole earth And some are going to go to heaven and others are going to go to hell. And here's one of the ways I'm going to judge in Matthew 25, verse 35 and 40. It says, For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. I just wonder if we believe it, though. Because we would have like a truckload of ramen this month going out of here. Because it goes to the poor. And every month that that table would be full. If we really believed what we put on that table was a gift to Jesus, we would do it. We would do it. And Jesus says, if you want to identify with me, I'm a God who identifies with the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the widows, and the orphans. And when I come to planet Earth, I'm going to come with one of them. Well, it goes on, painting this picture of Jesus. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that was led to a slaughter and like a sheep that it, before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And as for His generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He will be crushed. He will die. He will be resurrected. He will, the, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It's a picture of his substitutionary atonement on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his reigning again. Verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall, be, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the ser- by the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. And he shall be, bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is a picture of Jesus. We have two pictures of Jesus. And we need them both. If Jesus was just the king, and he was just all-powerful, then we would have no hope, because his righteousness would immediately condemn us. Sometimes people say, well, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just get rid of all the evil in the world? I say, because he'd get rid of you last night, and me, and every other person who has ever lived. We'd be gone. So it isn't enough that He is just the King who reigns. But if He was just a merciful God who in love goes to a cross, He would be forgotten in another tragic death in history. No power to save. But the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies is that He is both. And He alone can bear our sins. He alone can can pay the penalty that you and I deserve. And He alone can, by the power of God, get raised up again and take His seat on the throne. This should fuel our praise. This should fuel our worship. This should fuel our lives. And so how should we respond? Again, if maybe for the very first time you see this admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies, that you see that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords who died in your place for your sins. If you see that today, know that He gave you eyes to see that. Do not harden your heart, but come to Him in faith and say, I, I, I believe, I trust you. And the Bible says you'll become a new creation. The old will be gone and the new will come and you will begin new life that will last forever with Him. So turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. If you've already done that, same thing. Fix your eyes on Christ. See Him as the King who reigns over your life, but also see Him as the the suffering servant who loves you enough to pour out His blood for you. Do you need comfort? Look to Him. He alone can comfort you. And together as a faith family, I think there's one clear response. It's the response Isaiah had back in chapter 6 that we must have if he would give us eyes to see who he is. It's in verse 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying. So, so Isaiah has seen the Lord and he hasn't been destroyed. He's actually been atoned for by the burning coal on his lips. He's heard the, 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 the white hot praise of God in the temple. He's been blown away by what he's seen. He's been blown away by the love of God and the mercy of God. He's been absolutely transformed. And, and he gets to listen into a kind of Trinitarian conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And Isaiah hears this and and, and he's like, 
Here I am. Here I am. Send me. I, I don't know where you're going to send me. I don't know where, 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 uh, who I'm going with. I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I, I don't know anything, but I know that my eyes have seen the Lord and I know that you're merciful and, and I know that I want to be the person that takes this love and message of love and grace to wherever you want to go, Lord. So here I am. Send me. And this is the response of God's people that have seen and savored who Jesus is. Say, well, I don't, I don't know. That sounds like just laying down a yes. But, but I don't know what, what's beyond that yes. That's okay. That, that sounds like writing a blank check with my life and, and laying, it, laying it down. Like, like I, I don't know if I can do that with my life. Let me just remind you who you're writing the check to. You're writing the check to the one who speaks and the universe comes into existence. And you're writing the check to the one who goes to a cross and shows his love for you. You can write that check. You can trust him. So let me pray for us to that end. Father, I I know even now in my prayer it does not do justice to what you have revealed to us in your word. But Lord, I want to pray for each of us specifically. Lord, you've asked us to lay down our yes and you've proven to us that you are worthy of us doing that. So I pray, Lord, for, for our yes. Lord, for each person here. I, it may be different for every person here, Lord, but in some way, shape, or form, I believe right now you're saying, lay down that yes in that area. Lord, I don't know what that means. Lord, I pray that if it's your will, that maybe even some in this room would lay down their yes and you would, for your name's sake and for your glory, send them to the nations. For others, it will be the yes to love neighbors and friends and family just well. Others, it will be yes uh, in a way that you haven't even shown them yet. But Lord, I pray that they would, and myself, would lay down our yes as Isaiah did to the end that Jesus is seen, savored, and glorified, and that we are satisfied in Him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.